1: Hi, it's Glenn James. This message is being played at the start of all podcasts that Simo Interactive produces. It has come to my attention that there was a licensing issue with the music that we were using for our shows. And until that issue is resolved, and it might take a couple of weeks because I'm overseas at the moment, I've just decided out of an abundance of caution, I would stop using any music until we've resolved the issue. So if you are new to the podcast, you probably won't notice anything different. If it's not your first time, this is why there is no music in the episodes at this time. Thanks so much much for listening. Enjoy the episode.
2: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another My Millennial Story episode where we get to hear a new perspective on money and life.
1: Thank you, Sarah. And if you are new to Sarah's voice, Sarah hosts our My Millennial Story episodes, but we can't do these episodes on Thursdays without GlobalX. X brings the world of innovation to investors with beyond ordinary tech ETFs. From AI to robotics, Global X's range of exchange traded funds allows you to capture the companies shaping the future. Explore the possibilities at globalxetfs.com.au. AFSL 466778. Investing involves risks, and returns are not guaranteed. Refer to the relevant PDS and TMD. Thank you, Global X, and I'll hand it back to Sarah.
2: I have the pleasure of spending some time today with Tim Desmond. Thank you for being here, Tim. How are you?
3: I'm lovely. Thank you very much for having me on.
2: Good. No, I'm glad you're here. I think this is going to be a really, really interesting perspective. And you're a longtime listener of My Millennial Money. Is that right?
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, so I've been listening since about 2019, 2020, um, back when uh, Glenn had his some of his first early day pods and the old intros and things like that. Loved listening to those.
2: Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome how much it's grown and changed. And the community is so strong. And I love how everyone's really learned so much from each other. Like, I'm sure you've gained so much from just even the other people in the community, as well as Glenn himself and the team.
3: That's one of the reasons why I wanted to initially uh, or put my hand up to come and uh, share my story and share some of the things that I've uh, done previously and future thoughts and things like that. Because, uh, yeah, I do really like listening to other people's perspectives.
2: Yeah, awesome. Me too. Um, I think a great place to start for your perspective would be if you could share with us a little bit about your upbringing and how this has impacted your view of money.
3: Yeah. So um, I've got the privilege of being brought up in a household where money was very much talked about and was progressively educated to me throughout my childhood. So it, stemmed from initially uh, counting money, counting cash and things like that, where mum and dad would have cash saves of, of money, not huge amounts, but enough that it would, would teach me about how to count money, 10 cents, 5 cent pieces and how to count $2 up to $10 and things like that and actually see money and then not only see it, but also see it pass through your hands out to the cashier and things like that, which really helped me understand the perspective that it was a limited asset that was passed from one to the other. And you did really want to hold onto it. It was treated as quite a precious thing. You didn't want to just drop it on the ground for fun's sake and things like that.
2: Mm, That's so interesting because often people don't grow up with that perception of like actually knowing that money exists. Like you sort of get to a point where maybe your first job and you're like, oh yeah, I do exchange money for other things, but you seem to have always had that perception.
3: Yeah. And it's been certainly very helpful because it helped me understand in my later years that basically the amount of hours that I worked for the income that I received was sort of directly proportionate and it made me think very hard about letting go of my money and then passing it on to other people, which is a bit of a fire movement thing, which is one of the reasons why I'm gravitate, gravitating towards that a little bit at the moment. But yeah, mum and dad have certainly helped me a lot with uh, the understanding of it and have taught me about shares and investing and they've had rental properties uh, at points in time. So making me aware of how they work and how you've got to to deal with tenants and repairs and, and just having that understanding of the full process and the ins and outs and the way that money passes through different avenues.
2: Yeah. Tell us like a little bit about that evolution of knowledge, because as you said, it started with, you know, the 10 cent pieces and and understanding like the tangible um, part of money. But then you talk about investing and property. What was the evolution of your learning? Like when did you start your investing journey?
3: Yeah. So I started investing with mom and dad, uh, with, a, with minimal knowledge, actually, mum and dad did it more on my behalf, which was quite amazing. So uh, initially speaking, I remember probably about 16 and 17, when I first started working, I was saving for a car and I got to the point where I'd finally bought my car and then uh, and it was all done out of my own pocket. There was a small loan from mum and dad, but it was fully paid back within a few, two, three months because the car that was on the market, I wanted to buy that particular one. They went, well, we'll loan you the, um, I think it was like 1500 bucks. They loaned me that small amount extra and I learned to pay that back to them. So that was sort of like an initial test piece from them, which was awesome. And then um, once that had sort of happened, they started charging me board because they sort of realized that, hey, he's got enough money to buy his own car and it wasn't a like a cheap, cheap car, but it wasn't wasn't crazy expensive either. Like it was pretty nice. And, um, yeah, so they got to the point where they started saying, hey, look, we're going to charge you a bit of board. Uh, initially it sort of got a bit daunting because I'm sort of seeing this this extra money leave my bank account and then paying it to my dad and then uh, eventually got to the point where they – Uh, come tax time in was about 17 they made me aware of what they'd been doing with that board money which was investing it in the share market and um, yeah they sort of made me aware of it and talked about how it had been growing for the last few years so I had the ability to not only like look over the last year and a half two years of of that money growing but also sort of see what projections it would look like in so many years which eventually became my house deposit and um, helped me buy a house before I turned 21.
2: Wow. It sounds like your parents had a very conscious and intentional approach to how they taught you about money.
3: They definitely did. And dad, I think it also helped that dad for many years worked in a bank, actually which bank, the CBA. So um, he did uh, bank teller work for for many years um, and thoroughly enjoyed that aspect of working. And um, yeah, it's just one of those things that he's passed down through the years.
2: Mm, that's so good. So you kind of like learned about investing through immersion of sorts. Like you were already an investor before you even knew you were an investor.
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, the once, once I saw what that that did for money and how it grew, and then how it eventually paid dividends and franking credits. And we talked about how because I was earning such a such a low income earner at the time, how those franking credits were actually sometimes coming back to me as a as a form of uh, negative tax and and it was ending back in my bank account because the the money I'd put out in the share market was paying a dividend and then that was actually taxed at a higher rate than what I was being currently taxed at. So yeah, it just, it really made me very enthusiastic because I sort of saw this kind of free money floating back to me and um, yeah.
2: Yeah. How old were you around this time when you like were kind of understanding all of this?
3: So it was probably quite quite a few years we spent talking about it and learning about it and things like that, but I'd say 17 and a half, Uh, maybe a bit before I turned 18 because we're going through currently a a tax time uh, period and mum and dad got to the point where they couldn't really hide it because it was in my name. So they were like, hey, we kind of need to tell you about this. So they started talking about it just before I turned 18 and how it all worked and what they'd been doing and what it was invested in and what it had grown to. I don't think it was a very large sum of money at the time. I think it was only like 40 or 50,000, which I know probably sounds like a lot to some people, but looking back, I guess it was a lot, but the, the beauty of it is that it didn't feel like a lot because it had been, I'd just sort of progressively been adding to it over the weeks and years. So it didn't, I didn't really notice it. So, um, yeah, it really helped future proof where I am now, because I could sort of look at that and just sort of set aside a certain amount per week and sort of the same sort of feeling.
2: Mm, you're building a habit, right?
3: Yeah. Building habits. Yeah.
2: It's so interesting. Cause I, when you were talking, I was like, wow, did you Did you realize you had that money and you were like, oh, my God, I'm – I'm rich, I'm 18 and I'm rich. But it sounds like you were very much just like, no, this is as a result of the habit that- you Yeah, and mum and dad day. definitely
3: made it or made me very aware that this was not for buying a really nice car or it wasn't for doing, it was for, for setting up the future for myself and to be able to buy assets, mainly a house to live in so that so I didn't have to live at home full-time forever more. And um, because they certainly didn't want that for me and they didn't want to have me <laughs> living at home full-time. So yeah, it certainly helped um, because- When I turned or a bit before I turned 21, uh, I had a job opportunity where I was able to, with my workplace I was with at the time, work in – I was working in Brisbane but living on the Sunshine Coast and I was given the ability from my boss a a slight pay increase to uh, move to Brisbane um, because the staff that they were – the people they were interviewing at the time were not um, what they were looking for and they wanted me to be closer to Brisbane so that I wasn't spending – two hours return, uh, sorry, two hours each way to drive to Brisbane to visit clients and then return. So they were very enthusiastic about putting me in Brisbane. And um, but at that point in time, I sort of contemplated the idea of getting a rental property and sorry, as in for myself to live in and then moving to Brisbane and, and living at a rental property that I would be renting from someone. But uh, mum and dad sort of struck it to me and went, well, with the income that you're getting, with the deposit that you've saved, we could possibly buy a house uh, or you could possibly buy a house with your current situation. And we spent probably two or three months running the numbers on different properties at different price points and worked out roughly what my minimum and maximum would be with repayments. We use the various online calculators, like mortgage calculators to work out the repayments. And we projected like if interest rates go up to this or they go down to this, we're going to be looking at this much per week, per month. And yeah, and then I sort of practiced saving that amount before I moved into the rental property or oh, moving into my property. Um, I practiced saving the essentially the mortgage repayments each and every week into my bank account so that it was sort of as if I was paying it, Already.
2: Wow. I have so many thoughts and questions. Okay. So the first one, it's so hard to have that long-term perspective at a young age. Like try tell any 18 year old that you should save for retirement or for future investing and for assets. It's like, ugh, like how do I motivate myself to do that? But it sounds like you actually had that, you know, you had an interest and an awareness in the importance of long-term thinking. Like, did you? Was that a conscious thing at the time?
3: Yeah, I think it was something that I, um, I certainly was very conscious of. And again, with with the situation that I was in, where uh, my parents had actually had a, a, an early retirement themselves. So Dad retired before he turned fifty, and Mum before she turned forty six. So I say they've retired, but they, they've they're still working because they're they're on the share market, they're buying and selling shares, they're they're moving assets around, they're sort of playing on that sort of sort of sort of thing. Um, but after seeing them do that for quite a few years and seeing how much time they're able to spend with me and my brother and yeah, just hang out with friends or family and and do holidays and trips and things like that, but not have to apply to work and have two weeks or three weeks of holidays. It certainly um resonated with me and I went, well, I don't know if I want to spend my whole life working. I really enjoy work. I really enjoy the workforce. But um, if I don't have an option other than to work, I think that would be a bit depressing to me.
2: Mm, mm, Exactly. Like you feel like you have less control over your life, right? Like less freedom to make decisions.
3: Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
2: So it sounds like that's quite a big value to you is being able to have that freedom, I'm sure as inspired and, and seen by your parents. And so they, it sounds like they valued property and investing in assets but it wasn't just necessarily property and real estate. It was also in the share market as well. So you kind of were able to understand the importance of diversification within all of this.
3: Yeah, definitely. And um, the the property mar- properties that they had were, I use the word blue chip um, properties in the sense that they were Brisbane suburbs, they were nearby, they were suburbs that they knew, they were suburbs that they were around a lot. They they had seen the the upward growth of those areas and they sort of, had done their research um, outside of just sort of going, oh, that's a nice place, let's go and buy that. But they'd also done that on the share market. So dad spends um, many an hour of a day reading various uh, online property or, sorry, on a property uh, share market tips. So he'll be reading like, uh, I think it's Morningstar and all the other related letters and things like that about um, what's to sell, what's to buy, what's to hold. And uh, then he'll be doing the, the numbers on, what the dividends are paying on that particular stocks because he's a very much a dividend focused investor. So which means that he goes, that if that that share goes down while he's holding that share, he's not having to worry about that share like, going down and then having to wait for it to come back up before he sells, if he just keeps holding it, the longer he holds it, the the dividends are paying back anything that it's depreciated um, and eventually it will hopefully go back up to where it was or better and meanwhile he's been getting franking credits and the dividends.
2: Yeah, like coming back to what we were talking about earlier, being able to have that long term approach is such an important concept with an investing, isn't it?
3: I agree. Yeah, definitely. And um, having a plan like he, he's definitely taught me about um, how to have a plan about your investing and not just sort of buy it and then think about it after it's happened. So um, yeah, look at, look at what you want to buy, make an educated guess or about what it's going to do and then um, hopefully buy it and set, set a plan. Do you want to hold it for uh, a buy and sell or do you want to hold it for the next decade or three decades or whatever it may be?
2: Naturally, like as I'm sort of listening to this story, I think about, you know, you're growing up, you're quite young, you are seeing your parents do things in maybe a different way to people around you, I'm not sure. But it would be interesting to hear from your perspective, like, we're... Was there an element of comparison at all where you would look at maybe your friends and what kind of situation they were in or being shown from a financial literacy perspective? And did you have these conversations around money with them and have those discussions?
3: Um, When I was younger, I certainly didn't want to have those conversations with people because I don't think I had enough of an understanding at the time. So I would regularly talk to people about What they were doing, um, like how they, like some, some of my friends had really not a lot nicer cars than I did. And they talk about how they could afford it and they could make the repayments on the vehicle and things like that. But there was no particular. Uh, situation where I went and, and had direct conversations with people. As I've gotten older, I've been lucky enough to have quite good friendship groups. And we do occasionally talk about money. So we sometimes talk about the mortgage repayments on on their properties or um, what they think they're going to do in the next five, 10 years, where they're going to sell and move to a different suburb. Or if they've got a pay increase, we sort of go, oh, well, that's awesome. And they go, oh, I've gone from say 60 to 80K or 80 to 100, whatever it may be. So yeah, we all congratulate, I feel like we all congratulate each other at least on um, our success Successes in life. So um, that's been quite amazing to be surrounded by people that are driven by that sort of success. Mm. But again, money's not the be all and end all in life either. It's just one of those things. It's a a vehicle that's really good to help you get what you want to do in life because you can't have everything. And yeah, it certainly helps to be very mindful about what you spend it on.
2: I completely agree. It's definitely a vehicle. And it's a vehicle that a lot of the time, not everyone has access to in the same way. And so I think having those transparent conversations that you're talking about with friends, with people around you, especially if you didn't have the family that could teach you about that is super important. And so it sounds like you're definitely open with your friends about having those chats as well, which is great.
3: Yeah. And I've had, uh, my brother-in-law and we've had other people um, speak to me about certain situations, about things that they'll, they'll ask me about. They'll go, hey, look, if I'm thinking about doing this thing about buying a rental property or about buying shares, and I'll sort of sit down a bit like my parents did with me back in the day and sort of pot out the numbers that they think they're going to do with things, whether it's a buy a rental property or put into shares regularly, and um, or a line of credit to buy shares against their their principal place of residence, um, like a debt recycling plan, and we'll sort of talk about okay, well if you do this, these are sort of, like we're not we're not talking financial. Uh, advice or anything like that. We're just talking through the situations and talking hypothetically, hey, look, if you do this, this is what it's going to look like in this many years, but meanwhile, you have to make these repayments or you, if, if things go sideways, you might have in 10 years' time a $500,000 property that's turned into a $200,000 property, so you might have a very big debt to pay back to the bank uh, in that period of time if, you, if you're buying this or you're buying that. So, yeah, it's really enjoyable to have those conversations and theorize and hopefully... Um, help people to get more successful in in their financial life as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I share those values around and that education and that knowledge. I'm actually quite curious to know from you and your experience and your upbringing, it sounds like you had that saver mentality instilled in you from a young age. And we can't help but be influenced by our parents as we grow up and what they think about money. I personally grew up in a household where – money was spent even if it was an inefficient way of using money. And that was sort of the value was that money is there to be spent as opposed to used as a vehicle to help you. And so I've done a lot of unlearning and learning in that in that space. For you, are you naturally now more on the saver side or the spender side, or do you try to keep a healthy balance of the two?
3: So I would say if you'd spoken to me before 2020, it would have been a hardcore saver and I would have probably saved over a spending. Since 2020, December of 2020, I'd say that the switch has flicked. The reason being is because for, since I was 20 uh, to 2020, so that'd be about six years. So it was just before I turned 26. So about six years, I was going really, really hard paying off the first house that I bought. And um, we ended up selling that because my now wife, And I had a bit of a conversation around um, the house being in my name alone. And I sort of talked to her about buying a house in joint names and um, whether she wanted to buy rental property for herself or whether she wanted to buy it in joint names, uh, a a place for us to call home. And she made the decision, the executive decision that she wanted to buy a cheaper property for us to live in and pay it off completely. So by me selling the house that I first bought, um, which had Made a bit of a bit of growth, and um, moving into a slightly cheaper property at the time, we've ended up with a situation where we've had more cash than more equity in the property, which means that our principal place of residence is pretty much all paid off. So we've got an offset account offsetting the whole amount of the loan that's remaining currently. So now that the principal place of residence is paid off and we've got no other debts to speak of, I feel like spending is a little bit easier because I've, I sort of just remind myself and go hey look we're, we're already doing so well so I feel like spending occasionally is is really really nice so we'll do trips um, to the sunshine coast and we'll go go get food out or we'll go um, yeah just do the like the, the little things um, but still spend a little bit a lot probably a considerable amount more than what we would previously and yeah enjoy enjoy what we've built together and um, at the start of or last month we invited new life into. Our family, so we've now got a little daughter. Thank you. So we've got a new daughter, our little daughter that's just arrived. So she's just over a month old now, and um, oh wow, yeah, that's been a bit full on, but um,
2: I can imagine.
3: <laughs> it's um, it's been amazing to see the the last month and how how she's grown and things like that. So I'm sort of thinking about how I want her life to be moving forward. So um, try not to be too tight with money that she misses out on doing things or, or I miss out on doing things with her or vice versa. So yeah one of the things that I really wanted to do is have uh, an extended period of time off uh, with uh, the wife and and I to enjoy time with our, our new daughter and have enjoy that together. So I've taken six or eight weeks off work and just sort of enjoying that together. But previously, I don't think that would have been an option in my in my old, way of thinking, it wouldn't have been something that I would have been open to doing is having that, that length of time off. And yeah, it's been really nice to to sort of put myself in that situation now where I don't have to worry too much about it.
2: Yeah, definitely. Oh, I'm so glad. I mean, as life changes and develops, I suppose values change and you prioritize different things because, you know, for for you, for example, spending time with your daughter is extremely important and probably outweighs what would be the money that you may have earned or saved in that time. Um, and I think it's pretty easy for us as people, as humans, to attach guilt and shame to not working at like the most optimal level we possibly can at all times. But sometimes it's not about getting the most and doing the most. It's about having clear priorities and feeling good in those priorities. So I'm glad that you're in that place.
3: Yeah. No, that's, it's been definitely the way we've been trying to do things. And we're trying to be very... Um, uh, specific and and direct with our spending so we we wouldn't go out and buy a new TV or anything like that we wouldn't go out and do um, those sorts of things like there's there's certain things that we we look at and we go look We'd like to do this thing or we'd like to do that thing, but we sort of look at it, we talk about it, and we go, if we spend that, then we don't have, we can't take an extra month off, or we, we, our emergency fund goes down or whatever it may be. So, cause we are on, have been on a single income. So, just before, well, while, my, while my wife was pregnant, we, she actually was retraining to be into a new industry. So, she's worked in childcare for the, almost a decade. And, um, it got to the point where she, when she was, once we were pregnant, she was, um, not really, happy with the thought of working in childcare while having a kid of her own. So um, we we sort of uh, had her take a, an extended period of leave so that she could um, go into a TAFE course and re-educate and relearn a new industry. So um, she's uh, done a payroll, accountancy and payroll course through the TAFE. And um, it was really lucky because at the time the course, we were planning on spending, I think the course was about $5,000 and we'd sort of, talked about not only how much time she was going to have to have off to do it and how much money we would sort of be down per month. So we looked at all the numbers and went, okay, if you have the next six months off, which is how long roughly the course is going to take, that's going to be roughly 10, 15, $20,000, whatever it may be of, of earnings that you're going to be less, less, uh, earned. And we're gonna to have to spend another five grand on top of that for the course. So there's another, there's seventeen twenty thousand dollars, and then I sort of had to work out in our budget how do we how do we make that work? So to do that initially, we actually sold um, one of our cars um, and went down to one car and um, did some other things just to sort of be a bit more flexible to make make that work for for her. And um, now she's completed her course and she's sort of getting ready to go back into the workforce in the next six to twelve months. So yeah, and and hopefully something that she'll enjoy.
2: Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. That's awesome. It sounds like such an intentional decision that you made together and really worked as a team in that. And like you said, I think having clear priorities makes decisions like that easier because you're actually able to understand what's important and and weigh up things um, in a way that makes total sense. I'm keen to hear more about you know, the partnership of you and your wife working together within your finances. Um, But first, let's take a quick ad break and we will come back to you in a second to talk all about the FIRE movement. Cool, thanks, guys. We are back in action. And Tim, I think a good place to start is knowing that you have worked towards, I suppose, a variation of the fire movement, if not the fire movement itself. I want to hear from you. Like, where did you first learn about the fire movement? Why is it important to you?
3: So I sort of had been talking to friends for some time when I once I moved to my. New place in towards Brisbane. I'd had conversations with friends that I'd been meeting about sort of goals that they were having and I was having and things like that. And one of my other mates, who's also called Tim, um, had told me about another podcast called Aussie Firebug and um, all the different things that he was doing in his uh, journey and how he was logging it on the, on the internet and and it's sort of like when he was talking about it, I was like, "Hang on, that's that's pretty much what my parents have done and also what I aim to do." So I guess listening to what Aussie Firebug had done and was doing and planned on doing and what I had already seen from my parents, I, I sort of went, well, that they're actually the same thing. They've just got a, an acronym attached to it. So it was nice to sort of see that community. It kind of all fell into place, uh, a bit like the last puzzle piece. And um, so having some content to listen to how people had gone about creating fire for their own life and seeing people's own stories. And then through one of those podcasts, I ended up sort of searching around and I found My Millennial Money and I was listening to My Millennial Money. And I think Glenn uh, in one of his podcasts mentioned the acronym LOOT, uh, Life on Own Terms, which is something mm. that I sort of heard because my parents, once once they left the workforce and they've been out you now for some some time, I do feel like I really enjoy working and I I feel like even if I was working on a part-time basis, I would probably enjoy that outlet of being able to speak to people in a workplace environment but also potentially doing things that I like. So at the moment I'm trying to do that a little bit in the sense that I'm doing some volunteer work and um, donating blood and just, just trying to sort of get out in the community and um, do what I can. So, yeah, so I'm, I do feel like that, that whole FIRE movement, I don't know if I'm quite as attached to it Now, as I once was, I definitely would agree that financial independence, retire early. What Aussie Firebug has said in in previous podcasts is the retire early means something different to different people. So um, for me, financial independence is definitively where I want to be. Retire early, I think it just means for me, that I don't want to work forever if I don't ha- if I don't want to. So if I want to take a year off and do travel, or if I want to become a bus driver, or, or work down at my local shop, or just have twelve months off to complete a side hobby that I'm thoroughly interested in, or kick off a new podcast called Gen Z Money or something like that. Who knows? Uh, just <laughs> yeah, just something that you find a, find a hobby project that I might want to do for a little bit just to take a breather.
2: Yeah, I think this is a really interesting topic. And thanks for breaking down the acronym there because I forgot to sort of explain to you guys and hopefully you picked up through Tim talking there that FIRE um, is an acronym for Financial Independence Retire Early and it's a community of people that want to have that. But as Tim mentioned, retire early can mean different things to different people and Glenn's acronym of LOOT, Life on Your Own Terms, can I guess provide a more flexible version of that in so many ways. And I, I think the FIRE movement concept is really interesting, as you just spoke about, because some of us don't mind working or some of us, the goal isn't to have complete freedom in our day. The goal might be to just have that certainty that you have money when you need it. And so it sounds like for you, that was like a, a very gradual evolution of like, I, well, I don't know, I guess you tell me, was it at the start, you wanted to have all of that freedom in your day, um, and then after a while you thought, actually, no, I just want to be able to have that flexibility with my time.
3: Yeah, I like the flexibility with my time because, um, yeah, being able to uh, be in a workplace and if something drastically changes, like your your manager or your boss or something like that, I just feel like I'm now more inclined to leave that workplace a lot sooner with with less worries, like I'm, I'm going to definitive, I'm not going to walk away without, without sort of trying to resolve the issue. But if the issue is something that I've sort of brought up a few times and it's unresolvable, then um, it's something that I'm a bit more inclined to go. Now we'll look um, here's my resignation. And I've got a considerable period of time of, of, of my um, uh, war chest. No, not war chest. um, I've gone blank now. Cash savings for living expenses saved. So I can sort of walk, I can sort of walk away from that workplace and, and, those bad vibes and walk into something that I'm going to be a bit more um, uh, excited to, to be in and, and something that I'm actually going to enjoy being in because you do spend so much of your life at a workplace and with people. So I, I don't really want to really be surrounded by people that either don't want to be there or are making my life particularly hard.
2: Yeah, no, exactly. Because how common is the narrative that people don't like the job they're in? Like it almost seems like more people dislike their job than – those that like it. And there's something so empowering about having choices and choices come, can come through access and access to a resource like money, um, which is why, you know, we want to work towards gaining these assets so we have that freedom of choice. And for you, like, how have you noticed having that freedom or that increase in freedom and choice impact your life?
3: What I was saying earlier back in 2020, uh, we had downsized our house and gone from a, a slightly more expensive house to a cheaper house. Uh, didn't move very far away from from one to the other, but we certainly downsized considerably. And as part of that, took on a, a lot less mortgage. And um, through the equity we'd built in our first house and the extra debt we'd pay down, we we're able to buy our next house pretty much with cash in the sense that we still have a loan, but it's, again, fully offset. But by doing it that way around, it allowed me the ability to um, work uh, walk into a new IT job. So I moved from one employer that I'd been with for seven plus years, actually seven and a half years, to a government job. And by doing that, I wouldn't have taken on that role previously, I don't think, because it was a contracted role and i'm sure you're aware that or some people are aware i've heard plenty of people who have taken on a contracted role in government and then um, the term 6 12 months whatever it may be and then after that period of time they're shown the door pretty quickly and it's there's nothing else available in the, in that institute so by by having less debt um, it allowed me or it certainly helped with my sleep at night factor to walk into a role that wasn't a fixed-term role. and only had 12 months in the role. And um, since then, I've secured, likely enough, a, a continuing role, which is awesome. But I don't think I would have done that previously. I wouldn't even considered it previously because it would have been pretty scary to walk away from a workplace, which I quite enjoyed, but it, it, I certainly could have earned more money elsewhere and probably would have worked less hours as well. But, yeah, just by, by having that situation, it made it... A lot easier to transition.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Transition and take risks as well, because leaving a job always feels like a risk. Even if you're moving on to something new or you don't know, it always feels like there's an element of risk. And sometimes we need risks to progress and to do the next thing and, and to get somewhere better often, if not always involves risk. So I find that having that security in a way in the form of your ongoing financial situation and having those financial foundations laid helps you to take more risk.
3: Yeah, definitely agree with that. And um, yeah, I, I feel like the risk factor was certainly taken away considerably. So by, by taking on that that role, um, I've walked into a workplace, which uh, I, I thought I had a really good workplace previously, uh, and I, I definitely had it good at my, my old work. But by moving into this new role, I've allowed myself the ability to deal with uh, a very, very great team of people and um, a lot of like-minded people. And um, yeah, it's I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, yeah, the government work is amazing. So if anyone's ever considering it, would highly recommend.
2: Good. Oh, I'm so glad. It's so nice to hear an example of someone who's moved on to something new and it's worked out for the better. You know, like it's so nice to hear those stories and remind ourselves that taking risks is important and can pay off in the long term as well. And I'm keen to hear about you know, we've spoken a lot about yourself and your journey. How did those conversations go initially when speaking to your now wife about how you wanted to manage money? And did you both have the same values initially around um, what was the fire movement or investing in assets? Like what were those conversations like?
3: Yeah. So when I got the opportunity to move to Brisbane for work, I had, we'd only just started seeing each other at that time. And I had the conversation with her about, hey, look, do you want to move to Brisbane? And I don't think I'd even finish my sentence before she said yes. And at that point in time, she had a little bit of debt herself, which I had none of, and I hadn't even had so much of a credit card or a, or a phone or a postpaid phone or anything like that. But she had a car that was financed and a few other debts, personal loan debts that she had accumulated. And it wasn't anything too crazy, but when she moved to Brisbane initially, she only had the money to, to service those loans through the fact that she had to move from one workplace to another. So she wasn't picking up as many hours and she wasn't working as frequently. So for, for quite some time there, she was pretty much just making the minimum repayments on those loans and um, covering those off. And I don't think I really understood debt as well as I thought I did. And um, so we had a couple of conversations around how she was going financially paying for these. And it was only we'd had a couple of conversations and then she sort of explained about how things were going. And I went, surely you've got to be making more inroads than that. And then we put the numbers out about how much she was spending and we sort of did a bit of research on what was the best course of action to get her off these debts as fast as possible. And it there was nothing really out there. So I spent about six months saving really, really hard and had paid off her debts for her. So we actually had a bit of a conversation about it before doing it, but um, I'd saved up the cash and sort of said to her, Hey, look, if I give you this money, I'd like you to pay it back to me, but it'll be zero interest. So instead of taking, I think it was about five years to pay off the debt, it was going to take her about six months because the interest was just hitting so hard on those personal loans. So yeah, I was able to sort of pay that out. We didn't, it wasn't a written Thing I sort of was just hoping for the best at the time because it was still a very, very fresh relationship. I figured it was a um, wow. <laughs> kind of a kind of a good luck thing. It's like hopefully if if I give her the cash, she's not going to run away, and if she does, then <laughs> I've learned very early on that 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 was definitely not the way to do it. So um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we paid it off and and uh, spent. About the six to 12 months paying paying it back. I didn't sort of bleed her dry for it, but I, I let her pay it back in her, on her own terms. And um, yeah, then she became debt free. And then she realized, hey, look, I've got so much more money in my savings. And not only is it coming into my savings account and staying in my savings account, but it's building really, really quickly. So that was when we had those conversations. I sort of um, had little conversations with her around, hey, look, this is sort of what I'd like to do. And this is what mom and dad have done. And yeah, she was on board pretty much from the get-go, which is one of the reasons why we've been so good together.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm really glad it worked out then. That's, that's definitely ideal. And I think it sounds like at that point as well, that's probably when you both felt like you were working together. And was that when you felt like you were really combining your finances?
3: Yeah, we we were definitely having our own bank accounts, but our finances were definitively combined. So she was paying me, I, I use the word rent, um, but she was paying $150 a week for towards the other debts. And we'd occasionally go out and then she would go, Hey, look, it's my shout because you've been paying everything else, like rates, water, electricity, all that sort of stuff. So that was all all me. Like 150 a week um covered most of it. But there was still a lot of stuff that I was paying for. Um so occasionally she would go, Hey, look, I'm I'm a bit better off because I've got less against me, less less stuff working against me. So it, it definitely felt a lot nicer having a bit more level playing field between us. And yeah, we're able to sort of look at future plans. And that was where that um, we'd concocted, concocted the plan of going into a, a cheaper house so that we could combine our finances even further.
2: It sounds like a really special relationship where you're both clearly supportive of what the other one is wanting and, and working together is really important to you both.
3: 100%. And yes, yeah, so we both we both um, let each other spend our own money and on whatever we want to do and yeah, we don't really question it too much. There are definitely things where she'll come to me and go, Hey, look, I want to buy a baby monitor for four hundred dollars and I go, four hundred dollar baby monitor, surely there's gotta be something else out there. So we'll sort of scour Facebook marketplace and look at see what what it's worth secondhand and sort of we'll, we'll sort of do a bit of uh, research on it and things like that and go, Okay, look, it's justified. It's probably a much better thing to spend four hundred on one than it is to spend a hundred and replace it four times over. So Um, Yeah, just just thinking about things like that together and making joint decisions together. But yeah, she goes off and gets her nails done and goes for massages and things like that.
2: With the introduction of your new little girl, which is so, so exciting, uh, I can only imagine that things within your finances have changed. And because it's not just when the new baby arrives that things change, right? It's like there's time way before that where you're deciding if you want to and how that's going to go and how long that's going to take and what preparation's involved and So how did things change for you uh, in that?
3: Yeah, so we've we've had many a conversation about how it's going to affect financially us and we haven't done a huge amount of workings on that. So the way I like to work uh, the finances out for us uh, as I try to keep it as simple as possible, which is I work out all of our expenses for a 12-month window and then divide it by 52, which is the weeks in the year, and then That way I work out what our weekly expenditure is. And then based on having a kid, I sort of went, okay, well, we're going to need roughly this much per year to spend on doctor's appointments or whatever it may be or or medication or a new pram or whatever it is. So for the period before that, I sort of increased our expenses a little bit and went, okay, well, we're going to put away a little bit more per week and I've got a a special account for our for our spending money, stuff that just sort of happens. So, insurances and um, rates and water and electricity and things like that. So, I've just got that account set aside and then per week, we're just sort of putting that aside. Every every time a paycheck comes in, that money goes into that account and we don't even see it. So, if I get paid $3,000 from from things, then a 1,000 of that goes into, into that account per week or per month or whatever it is. So, those aren't actual figures. They're just uh, made up there on the spot. So, Hopefully no one falls off their chair.
2: (laughs) No, that's great. Great to have an overview. And so that was something you had tried to implement before new baby was there to just kind of get into that routine of, of potential change.
3: Yeah. And that way we are able to sort of go, okay, well, we've, we've already saved that money ahead of time. Cause we've got, we, we sort of have a budget of say $3,000 a year or $4,000, $5,000 a year that we're sort of putting that cash aside and we sort of um, keep a rough track of what we spent or are spending in that 12 month window. So um, like buying a new pram was one of the big ones that there's a thousand dollars straight off the kitty. So yeah, it, it just by doing that, we sort of go, okay, well, we've, we've sort of bought the pram. We can still put that money aside, but we need to make sure that we don't spend that again, if that makes sense.
2: Practically, how do you manage that? Like, is that through an Excel sheet? Do you use a program or a platform? Like, how do you actually manage it?
3: Yeah. So I've actually got an Excel spreadsheet that um, I've put together. Uh, I am aware that Glenn's uh, got a free spending plan that he's now released. So Good job, Glenn. Thank you very much for that. Amazing. Um, But I I have my own spreadsheet, which I've just put out all of my expenses. It's basically just a list and everything's got a a yearly uh, figure. So depending on whatever I'm getting, I put in that as a yearly figure. So if I'm getting uh, insurance or whatever it is, if I've got the ability to pay it yearly, I always try and pay it yearly because usually there's some sort of discount. But if there's something that's paid quarterly or weekly, whatever it may be, I always total up to a yearly figure so that I know that um, that's what I'm paying across a 12-month window. And then I sort of revisit that spreadsheet and that list of expenses when a new bill comes in. So if my rates come in and they're $1,000 and they were previously 900 then I go, well, my my expenses have gone from 3800 to 4000 because it's paid quarterly. So then I can sort of go into my spreadsheet, update the yearly amount, and then because of all the sums and stuff I've set up, it now updates my weekly spend and then I go into my bank account and where my pay comes in or where our pay comes in, I then update that amount in our bank to automatically every week after our pay hits to automatically send it across to our expenses account. And that way we've sort of got money aside for those expenses ahead of time, always and forever. So, yeah. And sometimes you get an occasional bill that goes up considerably, like power just recently. Our power bill was around 200, 220 a quarter, and um, it's gone up to more like 340, 350. So that was a bit of a a hurty one. But um, yeah, Mm -hmm. just updating it and then going, hey, look, we had a bit of extra spare savings. We're going to have to forego some of that for a little bit and um, put that across so that the account sort of stays topped up. And um, there's a little bit of a buffer in that account. So, it's always a little bit flush so that we can pay a bill or pay an emergency or something like that. But, yeah, we just sort of have a very basic Excel spreadsheet of expenses in a yearly amount and then that totals and then we divide that into weekly, fortnightly and um, monthly and that way we can sort of look at those expenses so that, yeah, everything is really easy to understand and everything's spelt out. So we've got like, um, we've got money set aside for massages. We've got money set aside for our phone bills. We've got electricity. We've got um, the rates for the investment property and my property, and we've got YouTube music. So streaming services and um, health insurance and things like that. So yeah.
2: That's awesome. Every dollar has a job there.
3: Every dollar has a job. That's for sure. And we, we don't want to put away, like we don't want to also put away too much either because we do really want to enjoy it. Mm. So in our savings at the moment, um, we're we're not saving a huge amount being that we're on a single income at the moment, but where possible, we're trying to keep as much of our cash free to spend on either house upgrades or spending money on going for a holiday or um, eating out. So we've been doing a little bit more eating out recently, uh, certainly a lot more than we're used to, being that we're trying to get out of the house with Bub because you sort of feel a bit um, Mm. being inside full-time you sort of go a bit uh, stir crazy, um, sitting inside all the time.
2: Yeah, I can imagine that. Do you have an emergency fund that you've set up within this as well? And so, because it sounds like that wasn't something that you maybe contribute now because you've already got that set up or is that something you continuously contribute to?
3: Yeah, so I don't actually, so my, my emergency fund is comprised of three to six months of expenses. It fluctuates depending on a few factors. But my emergency fund currently sits against the principal place of residence, and because that amount is offset against our, our house, and our house is now paid off, I've got considerably more in there. So I'm, I'm actually storing or stashing a lot of cash at the moment, and the reason being is because I don't know what sort of expense may come. But yeah, our our expenses. So our loan is sitting somewhere around the two fifty at the moment, and that's pretty much fully offset with a 250 cash offset at the moment. So that way um, the the loan is that amount slowly going down as the repayments keep coming out. But my expenses are sitting for a three month or a six month window sitting around 40,000 for a six month window. And that's repayments on all the mortgages. That's um, repayments on uh, we've got, I've got a line of credit for some shares that I've bought and, there's like gym memberships, there's um, gifts, there's shopping, there's registration for the car, things like that. So um, basically, whatever I've worked out weekly is our weekly expenditure at the moment. That money is sitting against our home loan currently, offsetting our offsetting our home loan. But it doesn't re- we don't contribute to it anymore because the only debt that I've currently got that isn't tax deductible is the principal place of residence, and it's pretty much fully offset. So um, our other debts for our line of credit for buying shares and the investment property, I do have offsets against those and there's a little bit of cash there. But at the moment, any cash or previously before Bub arrived, any cash that we did have was going straight into the share market. It was just non-negotiable. It was... A thousand dollars a week or a thousand dollars a month, um, depending on how the market was doing. If it was really low, we was trying to put more in. If it was doing really good and the shares were starting to go up, then we were sort of just staying on a one month buy cycle.
2: Mm, wow, that must contribute a massive sense of security to your financial situation overall.
3: It's it's really helped, and um, yeah, I, I've. Uh, I've recently listened to a podcast that Glenn had released. Uh, I say recently; it was probably a while ago. Feels like it was recently. Sorry, Glenn. But the um, there was a podcast he'd released about debt recycling, and that was one of the things that I really enjoyed listening to because it, it gave me a lot of understanding about. I sort of knew about it, but having a bit of clarification and a bit of a chin wag um, with the the person that was on the other end of that one was really helpful. And it gave me a lot of inspiration to do it myself. And it's, I've done it now for 12 months or a bit over 12 months and yeah, it's worked out for the best so far. So I'm hoping it'll keep that way um, securing the debt against the principal place of residence and then um, yeah, just making the repayments with the money that I'm getting back from the shares.
2: Tim, you are inspiring me, honestly, to get things sorted. I feel like I've got a lot to go off from this conversation and I really appreciate it. It's been honestly extremely insightful um, and I'm keen to jump on my own Excel spreadsheet after this and just rearrange a few things. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Um, I, I would love to know, like for those of us out there that maybe didn't grow up with parents who had a good sense of financial literacy or we don't, or haven't previously had access to people we can talk to. From your perspective, like what resources can we seek out, or what resources have been helpful to you to learn more about how to do this?
3: Definitely put a lot of uh, help. I sorry, a lot of information I believe is in the My Millennial uh, Money platform. I think there's a heap there that that you guys offer through um, either other people's stories and things like that. And everybody's different. Everybody's different. So you're. I think that what works for one person isn't going to work for another. So for me, I'm trying to keep things as simple as possible in the sense that I work out my weekly expenditure, work it out to a yearly basis and then divide it by 52. That's just for me that works really, really well just to go, okay, well, I know what I need to earn per week in in um, uh, expenses to make sure that my life can continue to to happen. So for me, that's the easiest thing. Some people want to do things specific ways. I heard there was another podcast that, that happened earlier where, uh, one of the ladies was talking about how she wanted to actually move her money manually from one account to another. And I completely understand the, the logic behind it. Like it, for me, mentality wise, I understand it. I go like well, that, that makes heaps sense because it feels good to see it happening. But for me, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't work for me because I'd forget to log in and and do it. And sometimes you go for two weeks or three weeks without checking the accounts. And the fact that everything automatically is moving into the savings account and that you can just tap a card or whatever it is. And, and you know, there's going to be money on it because the fact that you've worked out every couple of months that as a bills come in, that the bills are all to check and balance. Um, I'd say for me, I would say, just listen, keep listening, keep enjoying the the content and um, find something that works for you. I do really think that um, financial planning gets needs needs to probably a a big thing to be thought about. Maybe go and see a financial planner and have that conversation with them. Not financial advice, by the way, but find someone who's like I think find a find a financial planner that wants to do what you're doing. Because I, I recently sold one of my motorbikes to a financial planner, and I was having a bit of a conversation with him about how he had. He wasn't crazy enthusiastic about his industry anymore because he was pretty much dealing with the sorts of people that were um, had trust funds and they just wanted to know how much per week they could spend and it wasn't really what he wanted to do with his financial planning. So I'd say find a financial planner that really gels and does what you want to do. So if you want to become a part of the FIRE movement, that's your thing. Try and find someone who, a financial planner that that is enthusiastic about helping people go down that track or if you just want to sort of become like financially independent and have more money, like a progressive, like good retirement and things like that. Find someone who's who's really good at giving that sort of advice and um, look for those recommendations. And yeah.
2: Amazing. I've caught on to a few themes there, which I'm going to summarize for everyone listening, because I'm going to go and think about some of these things myself, which is one, know yourself, know your situation, get to know what you actually want, clear on your priorities. Second one is keep things simple, which I like. I feel like you have quite like foundational elements of how you run your money and it's stayed as a consistent theme from the start. The third one is be curious about the different content and resources that are out there. And then the final one is find the right support and lean into that support if you can, whether it's still a financial planner or otherwise. Anything to add to that, Tim? No, I think that's <laughs> well, that was I really it
3: that was really well. Like, better that was amazing. I was listening <laughs> to it. And I was like, "Is that what I sound like?" That that's amazing. So, yeah, no, yeah. I would agree to all those points pretty much. And um, th- the thing is, you can always. Yeah, listen to something just because it's not something that you want to do. Yeah, one of the things that Glenn really helped me with by listening to the podcast—not something I would have originally thought of doing—is actually ensuring myself, ensuring my income. So through through my um, super, I've in, I've done that. So by listening to this podcast, I'm constantly learning, constantly being um, taught about different ways that people use money and um, do things with money. So yeah, I just say keep an open mind and keep adjusting because you change throughout your life. So. What works for you now might not work for you in five years' time.
2: Exactly. Keep reviewing. And as you said, another one on there, protection, protecting your assets is so important as well. And I think, you know, life changes so quickly and so often that it's really good to come back and just have a reflection on how things have been going. Agreed. Yeah. Thank you, Tim, so much for your time and for being here. This has been such a great conversation and I can't wait to hear what everyone thinks about it.
3: Thank you very much, Sarah, for your time. And thanks for everyone for listening to me.
2: See you later, guys.